Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck, and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Peck. Say hi, Paige. Hi, guys. All right. So Paige is 21, almost 22. You're getting there, almost. And mom is 21, almost 22. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do that. Let's not go there. No, that's okay. Actually, I am just a young 44, okay? (laughs) If we want to go with ages. Well, Um, you're going to be saying mine every time. That's true. (laughs) Yours is fun to say. Mine isn't. Okay. (laughs) Actually, I'm not one of those that's super shy about my life experience. I've had plenty. One thing people don't know about me is I've actually been teaching parenting now since I was... 20, uh, what, four maybe or something? No. Yeah. It's been like 20 years. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. 20 years since I've been teaching this. Um, yeah. So 20 years ago, we, in fact, I guess it's been a little longer than that. Uh, people's, we started doing foster care, taking children, teens into our home, ages 12 to 18. Paige was a little baby. She was one years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we took these treatment children into our home and started teaching them how to overcome their problems. And, and the way that I decided I was going to teach them was with something called self-government. I decided I was going to teach them to have self-government, self-mastery over themselves. And shortly after that, people started noticing these children changing in our home so, so drastically that they started saying, hey, will you come to our church? Will you come to our school, our, our PTA group or whatever? And will you talk to us about what you're doing? Because I think even though you have foster children, treatment children uh this could maybe help other families and i said okay sure so i'm this young mom mom i have two toddlers two teenaged foster children that i always had you know coming (laughs) in and out of our revolving uh spare bedroom and um and all of a sudden I became this parenting person who was teaching parenting. And I thought this will be short lived. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't short lived. Here we are 20 years later, there's multiple books. Uh, the BBC's made a documentary of our family and that oh, showed, exciting, yeah. yeah, that showed the world that we could handle the toughest children and we could always maintain our calmness, which I think people were amazed by anyway. And we did all this because we were focusing on the principle of self government. So the whole point of self-government is that a person analyzes in a situation, okay, who is it that I want to be, you know, not just like what happens, but who do I want to be then come to what happens and how do I stop going in the wrong direction and start going in the right direction? What skills do I need? Um, and what kind of communication skills can I develop? Anyway, this is what we talk about at teachingselfgovernment.com. And you can find way more about the self-government teaching methods and skills and everything else there. So if you go to teachingselfgovernment.com, that'll be a lot of fun for you. 
Um, but today, before we get going, we are going to talk about a fun family activity that you can do with your family this week or whenever. So Paige, how about you go into the archives of your brain and let's pull out, <laughs> <laughs> let's pull out something that is a fun family activity that you remember. Ooh, let's see. Oh, I remember a super fun one that we used to do all the time with a bunch of other people. Um, and we called it knock your socks off. So it, I don't know. You might've heard of it, fun. but yeah, well, it's a really fun. I've one. heard of it. Well, I know you have. <laughs> Good <Okay>. gravy. <laughs> but, um, so basically our family, we laid out a blanket and it was a, it was a larger blanket. And, um, we would then go put on socks and us kids, we learned real fast to go find the tallest longest pair of socks that we had tightest 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 yeah. tallest longest yeah exactly yeah. and so because for this game you each wear a pair of socks and you start at an opposite corner of the blanket and then when someone says go you go and you have to try and get the other person's socks off their feet while trying to protect your own socks well, actually, instead of saying go, we would say, knock your socks off. And everybody, it was like a, I mean, it, it literally is like a <laughs> wrestling like match. I know. And and this seems like, well, not, maybe not all families could handle this, but our family was not competitive in the sense that, and I say we do was, anything to get ahead. Like we yeah, were competitive, yeah. I mean, but we're, we're more like, it's all in good fun. Right. And yeah. so since our family is more like it's all in good fun and we don't get like emotionally competitive with each other, this game was a real blast. Oh yeah. But I, I have, we have played it with a few people, sometimes brought in a few family friends to play this game. Or cousins they're visiting. Yeah. And normally everyone was pretty good because they just take on our same demeanor with it. But some of them, I don't know if you remembered, but there'd be a few here and there that would just get like, mad about it you know <laughs> so you might have to pre-teach before everybody plays this game hey listen this is all in good fun there's no awards or anything this doesn't really prove much of anything it's yeah. just for kicks you know and so just to let them know like sometimes you win sometimes you lose and that's like totally just how it is and mm -hmm. don't even worry about it so for us it worked and honestly we started playing it when you guys were little oh yeah and I think because we started playing it when you were so young, I mean, you were probably like four or something. And, and so because of that, it was always just like, oh, this is just a fun family little wrestle game that we play, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, I don't know, it put, putting two boys that are always competing about everything against each other out there on the mat, you know, I mean, that, yeah. that, that might not work for every family, but. Um, and ours it did. Well, so now I explained the game a little bit further. So we got our socks on. We're in two corners. Somebody yells, knock your socks off. Then what happens? So then you have to go after the other person's socks and try to get them off, both of them, while protecting your own, while trying to keep yours away from them. And so the first person to get the other person's, both, both of the other person's socks off wins. And you can't go off the mat. Right. You can't go off the blanket or else they're out. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two ways to win. You can either get a person to go off the blanket <laughs> or you can take both get their, their socks, socks off. off. And mostly people focus on getting the socks off, right? Yeah. But if you're really strategic, you could just get them off the mat. Yeah. You just back them into a corner and <laughs> yeah. it's actually off. really fun. 
yeah anyway it is it is fun that was um yeah that's a great one to talk about because that was that was joyful memories (laughs) and um and i remember dad just sometimes all the children on dad trying to get his socks off and somehow he would still still get everyone else's socks off yeah and and still be left holding one sock on his foot, you know, <laughs> even if it was just grabbing onto a toe. But anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. Knock your socks off. I found that in an old magazine years ago, and we started playing it just for a fun family activity, and it was hysterical. Um, so that's a good one, a good fun one, especially if your family likes to just wrestle and have fun and mm-hmm. doesn't take it personal and you know, and stuff like that. I will say I have played that game sometimes when I've gone to visit families. So occasionally people will have me come to their families and to teach, um, to teach self-government to their families and help them get it implemented at home and stuff like that. I don't do this very often because my schedule does not permit more than doing it, you know, maybe four or five times a year tops. But Anyway, when I go occasionally with families, we play games and every once in a while with families, I'll think we should play knock your socks off just to see how the siblings really truly relate to each other because it brings out the Mm -hmm. true colors. Oh, it does. How competitive they are, how well or what they think of their siblings. Yeah, it can. And so then sometimes, and I'll pre-teach, hey, this should all be in fun, whatever, you know, make sure everybody's on the right page. But then occasionally we get going at the game and they get really heated. And I'll say, I'll say, okay, do you guys, do you feel that? Does that feel like fun? Because it shouldn't feel fun to be getting angry at another person. So let's talk about what this tells us about maybe the way that you guys compete in the family, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. And how, what that could do to the feeling in the family. So it can be a good teaching tool um, <laughs> for a family. It can be, but, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So that's, an, I mean, another way to use it. But yeah, great one, great one. Okay, so speaking of people that are, you know, getting angry and not being <laughs> calm, okay, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about calmness. Okay. So today I I titled this or thought about titling it. We'll see what title we ultimately put on it. Uh, I I thought about titling calmness coaching 101 because I thought, you know, sometimes there's a class I give and it's called the power of calm. It's a super popular class. It's most popular. It is. It, it draws lots of crowds. Um, and you can access it on teachingselfgovernment.com. You can get a, a, audio version of it there and um you know there's a a lot of stuff on calmness in the teaching self-government implementation course that call that class is also there so anyway um it's kind of a basic class for teaching self-government as far as when it comes to keeping yourself calm but i thought you know i wonder if we could even we could even push the nuts and bolts to a place where it's even before it would be hitting that class. And if we could um, even maybe give a few other details uh, that I don't give a, get a chance to talk about when I do that class as well. So anyway, that's what I thought would be fun for us to discuss today is just calmness in a little bit of detail, uh, not necessarily duplicating everything that's in the power of calm class, but, um, but going into a conversation that, 
um, maybe just really gets real about calm and not being calm and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so Paige, have you ever not been calm before? Oh, you had to ask me that question. <laughs> I mean, yes, I know. yes, I have. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is I know the answer to that question. I know. It's not like I can really hide it. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, I have. It's, I'm, because you and I have very, very similar personalities. You know, we're very fiery. We're very energetic. We're, we have strong opinions. Yes. And so you know, as I was learning how to control my own emotions, those things would surface, those, you know, those strong opinions. Um, so, of course, I would get angry. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, not be calm. And so that was just something that was part of learning how to be a self-governed person, was learning how to, I guess, channel those feelings differently mm-hmm. or to, mm-hmm. well, I mean, not necessarily subdue them, but to think about them differently. To well, not I see- think let them get not to let them get out of control yeah well to to say okay i'm having a feeling right now what do i do with it and be more proactive instead of instead of just like falling into the the emotional tide that comes passing along Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. which is not freedom if a person just gets sucked into any emotional tide no it's not comes cruising by yeah, it's not freedom to emotionally vomit whatever you're feeling. No, although there are many people that feel like that's exactly, people are afraid of bottling up. Now, we could spend more time talking about emotions, okay? And, <laughs> and like we, I could do hours of training on emotions. I, I one time did an entire one-day workshop just on emotions and feelings. Um, I want to be really, really clear. Teaching self-government is not about stuffing or bottling emotions or anything like that. It is about freedom and then about knowing yourself and making the types of choices that lead to your own freedom, empowerment. And and that means knowing how to be calm. Yeah. And I think it's good to know also that calmness is not the absence of emotion or the absence of feeling. Right. Oh, very good comment. Yeah, that's true because um, I can feel compassion. I can feel understanding. I can feel connection. I can feel uh, even frustration. Yeah. But still not, I can, I can have sadness and that doesn't mean it's like never okay to cry as we're talking about sadness here. I know I said, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about our emotions and feelings today. That's another day, but sadness is not bad. Okay. I mean, is our emotions and our feelings are part of the thing that makes us human. Yeah. I mean, we really, but, but another thing that makes us human even more than those is our ability to choose. Yeah. Well, I think calmness is that ability to be in control of those emotions and not let those emotions control us. Well, and I think it's also just being okay, right? Like, yeah. Like not taking we... things personally and just being like, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when, when all of a sudden we think I, I'm, they're not understanding me, that it's almost this way of taking a step back and saying, hold on a second, instead of pushing so hard right here, maybe what I need to do is get to a place of connection so that we can actually have a mutual understanding. 
Okay. Yeah. Now this isn't going to work with a psychopath. Okay. Because they just want to win you out every time and they, or sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. Sociopath, psychopath, narcissist, you know, calmness, isn't going to be the means to getting things accomplished as well. But, but honestly, the other doesn't help you either. <laughs> so it's, it's just that they won't understand because they don't care to, but, um, but the majority of people like the regular person, if you go to a place of calmness and connection with the person, instead of a, a place of fighting, then what happens is everybody gets understood, great bonding occurs, the problem usually gets solved the best way possible. Mm -hmm, I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is how it happens. And it takes patience, and it takes skills, and it takes long suffering. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, and, and you have to tell yourself no from time to time. So, um, you know, what happens to you, Paige? I mean, I know you're hardly ever not calm. but um, <laughs> But, but I want you to be pondering on what happens to you when you're, when you aren't calm, you know, like what, what does that feel like for you? Um, I know. So for me, if I want to, I'm going to share a couple stories here. So, <laughs> so I'm known as a really calm person and, um, and I have to honestly say that's taken a lot of work in my life. I've been working on that for years and years and years since I was same a, here. Yeah. Since I was a young girl, um, because I do have that more fiery personality and I, and I decided, okay, well, I'll just hold it back. I just won't let it show. That was the first thing I tried, right? When I was in my teen years for a little bit. And, and no, it just created distance and a wall and more well, misunderstanding. More frustration too. Oh, totally. In fact, it creates anger because then you're like, well, they don't, they really truly don't. Um, I'm angry, but they don't see that I'm angry and that frustrates yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. I'm having all this and they don't even care. Well, how can they care if I'm not showing it? Plus what I am showing <laughs> is just contempt because even if you're not saying anything, you can still be the loudest person in the room, you know? Yeah, that translates to passive aggressive communication. <laughs> Exactly. So I tried that at first and that was a big fail. And then when I would get frustrated that that wasn't working, then sometimes I would start lashing out in other ways. I, I'd go back to, you know, yelling and whatever. And, um, and then, if, and then, you know, in that stage, okay. So in both of those stages, actually, what you feel is you feel, um, in some ways, like you need to hide and then you have this distant, lonely thing because you're hiding. Okay. Yeah. And then, but then in other ways, especially if you're aggressive and you start yelling and stuff like that, um, you actually feel like your brain feels stressed and you, you can't think properly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember when this is the most ridiculous and I know other parents have done this before, but I remember when Quinn was a little guy. So he might've been, you know, two or three years old and he was strong willed. And so he's my oldest child. So, um, Paige, I can't remember if you were 
you must have been a baby at the time. You were probably sleeping. I don't know. But anyway, you were <laughs> always that. sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, so I remember him, like me telling him not to do something. And, you know, and then he just kept doing it anyway. And I was like, don't do that. Because it was damaging, like we had a brand new house. And he was doing something that would like damage the house in some uh -huh. way. Um, so you know, he would have tantrums where he would like throw his metal Tonka truck against the wall kind of a thing. <laughs> right. Which is not going to be very good for new walls no. anyway. And so, um, and so I can't remember exactly what this particular instance was, if it was a Tonka truck, if it was something else, but I just remember telling him, no, don't do that. We don't do that. And then he kept doing it. And he almost gave me this look of like defiance, like, I'm going to do it. You can't stop me, you know, yeah. kind of a thing, which some toddlers, you know, they get a little, uh, they get a little feisty, a little defiant. Get a little, yeah. Feisty is a good word. Defiant testing their boundaries, seeing what they can get away with, seeing what kind of emotional response they can get out of their parent. Yeah. And I just remember being like, no, and like yelling it kind of at him. And, and then and then him continuing, whatever the thing was. I just remember the room it was in, but I don't remember what he was doing. <laughs> and I, isn't that funny? Because see, I really wasn't thinking fully. Like, yeah. I can't even remember what he was doing. Why? Because it wasn't that important, really, in the long <laughs> scheme. But what I do remember is my shameful behavior. Okay, yeah. so then I went over to him and I smacked him on the backside. Okay. So I spanked him. Now there might be people saying, well, that's completely, you have to sometimes or whatever. But what I found with all my other strong-willed children and with him, even after that fact was no, you don't. But I got to a point where I stopped reasoning. I stopped understanding him. I stopped reasoning within my own brain. My emotions chopped off the front part of my brain, which does my logical processing. And all of a sudden I was just in this emotionally reactive place. And then I did something afterward that made me feel horrible. I thought, what am I doing? I, I am just starting on this parenting journey and I just hit my child and I vowed I would never be the type of parent that goes out of control and hits their child. Well, I think because of the emotional state that you had let yourself go into, you, all of your skills and your, the things that you had been working on, even though like you were just starting out, flew out the window and in desperation, the only thing you could think of was, well, I got to hit him. So he stops. Well, yeah, just a stop him, move. stop him, stop him. Stop. Yeah, stop, stop the action. Don't worry about uh -huh. the heart, like in the person behind the action. Well, plus it was just trying to control it. And I can totally yeah. see myself going, well, and I actually probably wasn't doing really great on self-government self skills at this point because I'm quite <laughs> sure I, I wasn't doing foster care at this point and I hadn't deliberately made my parenting plan as well as I should have. Oh, gotcha, uh, gotcha. And so at this point, it was just me and my child and the emotions in the room. <laughs> and that was it. But, um, but I remember that constantly being nervous about if he would wake up the baby. So you being the baby, right? right. 
And so probably there was this extra stress in my mind was if I have to keep telling him no, if I have to keep yelling at him, that's going to make enough noise that it's going to wake up the baby. Listen to the stress in my voice. Like I can totally <laughs> see my brain thinking about that. Don't wake up the baby. Don't wake up the baby. Which I probably wasn't going to wake up anyway, but. <laughs> no, no, you, you know, you would have. The thing is, is you slept so much, but whenever you were awake, it was crying crying, crying, crying. Yeah. Which adds to the stress. (laughs) Exactly. And so, um, it was, I could, I bet you I had stuff like that going through my mind too. And you know what that's called? That's called stress, right? Me trying to control everything, control when the baby sleeps, control the toddler and, and what he will do, won't do, will say. Are you saying that when you try to control everything, that's not being calm? Yes, that is what I am saying. Exactly. Now that is an idea. Well, I hope it is because it's the <laughs> truth. It's the truth. And, and I realized as I changed myself over time, okay, as I changed myself and realized that's not going to be okay to be like that because afterward, what do you feel? Did I feel understood by my son? Did I feel like no. he really learned anything? No. You probably felt like he resented you. Yeah, I didn't feel understood. I felt like a monster, a monster. And the thing is, is some people might say, Oh no, no, don't shame yourself like that. You didn't have a choice. No, I did have a choice. Okay. That's the thing is that anytime a person does something like that and they feel guilty, unless they're being manipulated by somebody that the reason why you feel guilty is because you knew there were other choices out there probably that you did not identify and you did not take. And you made a choice to raise your hand or your voice against another person. You made a choice. I made a choice that day and it ate me up. I mean, I'm a prayer person, right? I'm, I'm like going to God saying, I'm so sorry. I just hurt one of your little ones and I'm supposed to be teaching them. And I know that's not the type of teaching that they need. I know. Especially because a spank done in the heat of the moment in anger is absolutely not a teaching tool. It is an emotionally manipulative tool. It is different than if a family just had that as a negative consequence and there was teaching that happened first and there was accepting of consequences that occurred associated with that consequence and everything else. And I can't get into all that today. That, that <laughs> just starts diving us into parts of teaching self-government. That's program. a whole other conversation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I do that a lot. It's I know that's okay. Cause you know what? Cause this, this, um, this world of your own behaviors, your child's behaviors, your family unity and bonding and everything. I mean, this is a, a big, big picture. It's not just like one little, oh, try this little trick and you can transform your whole family. No. I mean, we're talking about changing hearts here. Yeah. Learning, learning self-government is changing hearts. That's the heart of the family, the heart of the individual. It takes a lot of different components. And so, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we get off track a little sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's That's not okay. off track though. It's pertinent. It's just, we always feel sad. We can't cover everything in a short little podcast, right? Like, right. That we've got, but there's always more places you can go. Anyway, so how do you feel after? You've, you don't feel understood. You feel guilty. You might even feel somewhat confused. Like, what just happened? Yeah. How did I like, do or that? What did I just do? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. That is true. And that feels then like something took over. Yeah. And then like, like what was it? What, like, what happened? 
how did I allow myself to not be myself? Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So then that feeling is like a powerless feeling like, wait a second. I just tried to show so much power, but in the end, I feel like I can't trust myself. Yeah. That's, that's a hard thing to grapple with, isn't it? Especially if you're a controlling person. Like if you're used to being in control, like, wait, I no longer have any of the control in it when I tried to get all of it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is when I was a youth, when I was in my teen years, I would do and say things occasionally that were out of control. By by the time I hit about 14 or 15, for sure by 16, I actually had such a great relationship with my parents and there were no fights anymore. It was all changed, total bonding. I had fixed mm-hmm. that. I had learned skills and, and, and those, those are stories for other days, but, um, but I had learned skills for how to communicate better with them. And, and it was amazing what happened to our relationships. So then I'm thinking I'm totally good, right? I'm in control of myself. I, I'm not the type of person that loses it. I've conquered that beast. And then here I am with a toddler and a baby asleep in the other room. And yeah. And I fly off the handle. What am I going to immediately feel? Wait a second something just hijacked me yeah you know how did that happen right and and the answer to this is you got to feel you've got to know how to find your calmness Mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment you have to have a plan every for every time that you feel like you're losing control it's got to be the same thing yeah you can't be surprised and you have to and if it doesn't work you have to find a new plan and stick to that until it works Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is so vital. Because if you don't have a plan, you won't ever get to choose. No. And I think you definitely have like almost like a written out word for word plan of how you're going to be calm, like a whole process. Oh, yeah, I do. I mean, I do write it out for people. It's true. It's it's true. (laughs) But um, I know, I think like for me, it's not necessarily as formatted because I've been working on it my whole life and it's just, things that I've learned over time that I'm just like, okay, this is, you know, kind of what I do to figure out how to get calm. And so like, for me, I just tell myself like not to take things personal mm-hmm. and not to get offended. And I say, you know what? I don't need to get angry. You know, it's, it's basically just like a self-talk moment. And then well, say, you bring okay. your back, you bring yourself back to truth, right? Because that's the thing. Okay. You've hit something really big here, Paige. And Ooh, that like is, that. yes. And that is that calmness is the process of aligning yourself with the truth. Mm-hmm. Wow. Everything goes back to truth. It does. It does go back to truth. So when you are not being calm, you're buying into multiple lies. Usually Uh, Mm -hmm. lie number one, that somehow your emotions should be able to control another person. Yeah. That's a, that's an untruth. That should not be how it is. That is not healthy. Right. Um, You know, lie number two, that you will be more understood if you lose control. No. no, because you will elicit other feelings in another person. Like they might feel fearful of you or they might feel um, that they have to walk on eggshells around you. Well, if you think about or, it, you know, like based on that, if you see a couple who's fighting and just yelling at each other, 
they're not really listening to what each other is saying. They're trying to think of what they can say next to try and hurt the other person or yep. try and get the other person's attention. So they're not even really listening to each other. They're just yelling at each other. And so yep. they don't feel understood at all. They feel less understood. And so nothing gets accomplished. That's exactly right, Paige. And they don't know that because they feel like they have to yell louder and yell longer and hold on to it longer in order to finally get their way. That's called wearing a person down and that is not the same as being understood. No. Sometimes you can be understood, but still the people don't agree. Mm -hmm. And that can happen. You know, when people have that funny statement, they say, let's agree to disagree. You know? <laughs> but what it's that saying, means- Calm down. We don't have to take it personal. Yeah, that's what it, it means. That's what it means. How about we really understand each other? <laughs> and then if we still don't agree, then fine. And it's okay. And, and that's what you have to do. I mean, I, I do a lot of legislative work trying to protect families and parental rights and stuff like that. And when you work with legislators, they don't always see your same way. And you've got to do some education and some talking and some mm -hmm. relationship building. And it is... Uh, a process, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, it's a and lot there's of work a, too. And there's a point where somebody might say to you, "Well, I'm sorry, but this is just where I'm at with it." And then you say, "Okay, oh, okay. Well, this is where I'm at with that." And so, you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> if we can find <laughs> a happy ground with that. Well, it, it, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to say, "I suppose we're going to be in opposition," but there's this already this feeling of mutual respect where it's yeah. like, well. They can respect someone and not share their same opinions or feelings. Yeah, we talked about it, but we don't agree, and that's just how it is, mm -hmm. and we don't have to take it personal, you know, that we don't right. agree. We can just stay in alignment with um, what we know we need to do for ourselves, right? And so we do that kind of thing. Um, so let's just talk really quickly. I want to share some ways uh, that people can achieve more calmness. I, I want to talk about seven different ways that people can achieve more calmness today. But before we get to that, I just feel like it might be worth it for a minute to just bring up the idea that, because I don't know if you've noticed this too, Paige, but that calmness is socially under attack. No, it totally is. <clears throat> like if someone is calm, I mean, at least I know for me, because I am a very calm individual. Mm -hmm. um, but if for some reason you don't take like an emotional stance on something, you're seen as someone who doesn't care. Yes. Ooh, I wish we could just frame that and <laughs> say, I, I wish I could frame that and discuss that forever. Who came up with that? Now, and how did that, that perception come into being? Because this is a trained perception. This is a trained way to process the way somebody else is behaving. So, so if, you know, I'm going to talk to a legislator and they don't agree with me, but they're totally calm, I'm going to say, you know, that person's really mature. They're really good at communication. Uh, they they seem to value this other person's opinion or this other person's data more than my data, and so and and doesn't seem like that anything I'm going to do is going to change their mind. But I don't walk away going they're such a bad person. The only time that I would walk away going I just hate that person. I just which I don't do. Okay, but the only <laughs> time but the only time I would do that 
is if I never really talked to the person or listened to the person in the first place. So there's a whole lot of judgment and bias and stuff that gets thrown around in our society because people don't actually appreciate where somebody else is coming from. Yeah, they don't no? actually listen. They don't seek to understand where the other person is coming from. Or yeah. Where the actual issue stands in regards to real truth. Right. And so that's one thing. They just and see then, how it affects them emotionally and then they take offense. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the other part of this, I think, uh, that I've been able to see is that there seems to be this social ideology okay it's a trend and it's been building over years now but this idea of you should always trust your feelings Ooh, that somehow well. that somehow if you feel something that means it must be true no <laughs> um, so so your feelings can be influenced by exposure to truth so it can go that way. You can be exposed to truth and then you can get a feeling almost of confirmation. I should say almost absolutely of confirmation of that truth. I mean, for many people, that's like a spiritual thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But that is different than feeling some emotion and then telling everybody else because I felt an emotion, it is true, whatever it is true, you know, so this is a truth because I feel emotional about something. I had an experience, it made me emotional. So what I want is true in the right way. That's totally different. Right. Cause truth is truth no matter what, but you have to actually find the actual truth. You can't just make it up. Yeah, but you know, all of our emotions can be manipulated and that we too. know that. We know that because we can feel when somebody's trying to manipulate us and we can feel we don't trust them and we can feel, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but most people nowadays are not recognizing that they can manipulate themselves with their own um, attachment to oh, an emotional... Okay. That is a good point. Yeah. And so, so that's where we're getting trapped, right? In this whole idea of, um, of feelings being well, I mean, actually, somehow it makes sense, though. so like if, supreme. Yeah. Like if you look at a little child, they sometimes manipulate themselves with their own emotions all the time. So like, you know, someone say they, someone won't let them participate in an activity with them. And they're frustrated, so they start crying. And then they say, oh, I'm so sad. And, you know, the parents are like, well, I mean, they just said that you, that you couldn't participate. But the child is so out of control at that point that they're just like, eh, my life is awful, blah, 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 blah. Right, and that doesn't mean their life is awful. No. And that doesn't mean that, um, I mean, that doesn't mean a person can't feel a little bit of a letdown. We're well, not yeah. getting to do something they want to do, but their life isn't awful. The other person doesn't hate them. The parents actually do care. You know what I mean? But Someone just said no. But in the person's mind, they go into this dialogue and this, it, it's a, an emotional stream of consciousness that emotional over not, analysis. Yes. That is not connected fully to the logic. Cause when you're in midbrain anyways, and you're in that emotional place, you truly are not 
um, connected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's a thing. Anyway, I just, I just wanted to bring that up because I feel like a person making a choice to be calm is not really as socially acceptable as it should be. Yeah. And, and it's not even promoted like it should be. I, I feel like we're promoting ideas that disempower people. How mm -hmm. is it more powerful? Is it more powerful to have an emotional display like a peacock? Or is it more powerful just to, to choose? This is the type of way I want to behave. This is the understanding I want to have and that I, you know, of other people around me. This is um, the way I'm going to approach problems uh, with others or frustrations or stresses that I have and then actually choose to follow through. What is truly more powerful? And I, I just say, had an epiphany. It's B. Yeah. What? Yeah. I feel like it's becoming less and less socially acceptable because it shows that someone is in control and most people, well, people more and more often don't know how to control themselves. And so it's scary and it's intimidating. And so they don't know how to deal with someone who is calm. So they prefer it if someone isn't because they can relate to that more easily. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Because otherwise the person who is calm could seem too powerful and then yeah the, be the best way to deal with them if you don't want to control yourself is to write them off as uh, weird or socially unacceptable you can well too controlling or yeah. too you know yeah when really or not understanding themselves yeah, or not understanding. Now, as you can see, there are so, okay, we could talk about this aspect <laughs> for a whole entire podcast because you can see very clearly that there are so many gradients of lines here in between what is fully calm, what is totally out of control. There's like all these little, you know, like lines where a person could fall on, on a, on a scale or on a spectrum there because, yeah, because you, you can be, um, you can come across as calm, but still be manipulative. Well, then those people would have a, a reason not to trust you. Right. Yeah. But then well, that's you called passive aggressive. Exactly. But then you could be mostly calm, but then say something that is just all of a sudden, like takes control. Right. Which would then be the other way around. <laughs> so, I mean, there's just like, so you see where there could be valid cases where a person is faking calmness and faking composure and leadership and everything else when people are going, but I feel really manipulated. Now they could choose to feel manipulated because they don't want to address their own side of the communication. Right. Okay. Which is a whole other thing. Oh, right? or, yes, it is. <laughs> or they could feel manipulated because there might actually be manipulation happening. Mm -hmm. I have had conversations with people who are totally understanding, who come across as totally reasonable, logical. They are not being emotional at the time. And, and you can tell that, but they literally are trying to undermine your thoughts. Oh, yeah. Those are freaky people. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And, but there are people who are devious like that. And so then if you've been around a person like that, you might feel like calm people can never be trusted, you know? Yeah. And so, because there's narcissism, narcissism then that's there. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and so you're like, whoa, (laughs) this person will literally tame their own beast to be right. And they they can be a beast. uh Uh-huh. So that they can be eaten. So, but here we are on a totally other topic, but yeah. still, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, you're absolutely right. You can train yourself to go. That calm person is not authentic. They're fake. They're trying to control people. They're whatever. You can train yeah. yourself to think that. And so then you only surround yourself with emotional people that are going to drain you and take you down and all that other and make you feel confused. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But really, if you just spent a few minutes talking to that one person who's in control of themselves, you'd see, hey, yeah, it's really awesome to be in control of yourself. And then that actually influences others. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about our seven ways to be calm okay. because okay. we're going to be done with our podcast and like never get to that. And that would be bad. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> but I hope that the things that we have talked about so far have been uh, enlightening for some of you. And, and you see, we could talk and think about this for a long time. So yeah. um, hopefully it gets you thinking about yourself too and where you're at with your calmness versus not. So let's talk about seven ways uh, to apply apply calmness to adult and child communication. Yeah, because these steps, think, these steps are perfect for adults and children and them put together. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's what I talk about when I do the Power of Calm class. I talk about how to be calm when somebody else isn't, how to help them get calm without losing your calmness at the same mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. So that is the that is the premise of that class. And I highly recommend going and listening to it because there's going to be words to say and things to do in there that aren't going to be presented here just due to time and everything else. But, um, but there, but I do want to bring up some things in this that we maybe don't get a chance to talk about in that class. Um, and so step number one is you got to know yourself, right? So you got to analyze yourself, Yeah, which is actually something I would love to talk about a little bit because I'm actually really good at this. Oh, great. Um, it's, it's actually a skill that I feel like I do have. And it's, it's something that has helped me a lot, especially being out on my own at college with roommates, with you know, people that I'm in charge of. And it's really interesting to see, because I've analyzed myself so much, not overanalyzed, but just analyzed my own feelings, my own actions, the skills I know, the knowledge I know, the knowledge I don't know, you know all of that put together. I've been able to help others map out their own feelings and really see where they are and what they're actually feeling. Yeah. And you know, Paige, we were talking earlier uh, before we even did this podcast about a time in your life when you were absolutely sure that you weren't being understood and so you had to go out of control to be understood and this was when you were in your teen years you were youth and um and how I actually sat you down and said okay actually what you're buying into here is (laughs) not a truth right and and let's take a look at you and how you can go about really being understood right so I helped you have an analysis moment yeah and those those actually having those with your kids are so important, you know, getting them calm, which is what we're initially talking about today 
And then just kind of sitting with them and saying, hey, so we just had this situation. Let's analyze it. You know, let's think about yeah. it. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the emotions that were really behind it and right. why you had those, those emotions and what, you know, might be fueling those emotions. Right. And the how to get them calm bit is in that power of calm yeah, class. But for, so, but for parents yeah. to be able to do that, they have to be able to do it with themselves first and correctly mm-hmm. analyze their own behaviors and their own oh, thoughts and feelings. Absolutely. In fact, um, you might need a support person too. Like so Paige had me, her mother as a support person, a person who's already conquered their beast for the most part and who is calm. So then I am a perfect support person for her, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's why the teaching self government uh, website, we have a support group. For people who need Lots support. Of support people. Yep. Yeah. So that they, so that they can ask me questions and they can get some additional helps and supports and, and stuff like that. Because, you know, sometimes you need a support person in order to make that change and to see yourself clearly. Because some people have a hard time even seeing their own processing problems. So then they keep right. falling well, they've never, into it. They've never analyzed their own processing yeah. process. Yeah. And so, so it's hard for them to really see what's going on if they haven't been shown how to properly analyze themselves. Right. And, and if, you're, uh, if you're not able to be calm yourself, it's, you're not going to teach calmness to your children. You can't. Right. You can scream cal- calmness from the rooftops, but your children will ultimately scream because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. And so that's unless they end up with some example in their life that is more powerful than you, but ah, we don't want them turning their hearts away from their parents and toward other people. And so all the more reason you've got to keep, you know, be that calm influence in their life. So, um, so analyzing yourself, that's number one. That's the first thing. Okay? Yeah, which leads and, actually right into number two, which is, you know, to make a calm plan which this includes having a calm place, you know, calm voice, calm body, which we talk about in the four basic skills in teaching self-government. And then words that you know that you want to say and that you need to say. Yeah. And so part of the analyzation is, Hey, did I, did I follow my calm plan? Did I, you know, go to my calm place? Did I say what I know I needed to say to stay calm? Yeah. And so that helps with step number one. Oh, for sure. Well, because once you analyze, okay, where am I at? Or you've analyzed, because you have to analyze yourself ahead, right? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Mm -hmm. What is it that I do that I don't like that I do? Right. right? And then that leads to, okay, now I got to make a plan for myself then. And I've got to decide, okay, well, what, what is my, am I going to have a place I can go to initially? You know, you might be out in the car, you're going to have to go to another mental place, you know? Or something. There's a point when a parent can't withdraw, you know, due to whatever the safety that's happening or whatever. But, yeah. um, but you know, it's not a bad idea to go, I've got, I'll go to my bedroom. If I get to this point and when, and when I say analyze yourself too, it's like, what do you do when you're not calm? Like for me, I get certain physical signs that happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like a, a knot in my stomach, some people get a tightness in their neck. They start not being able to think, you know, it's, it feels like stress or frustration. Those are all triggers. They're all cues that you need to get calm. Right. So then that's when your plan comes into place. So you make a plan then you say, where's that place going to be? Am I going to go into my room? Am I going to pray? Am I going to sing? Am I going to tell myself the truth in these situations? Do I have a box? 
in my brain that I go to. Yeah, mm. exactly. Can I put myself in a different place where I only tell myself the truth and I start, and, th and that's a powerful thing. Okay. Yeah. Because that that's would be huge. disengaging emotional and engaging prefrontal cortex, engaging logical. That would be huge. So, um, Anyway, and then you've got to know what's the voice tone you're going to have. What's yeah, the that's body language you're going to have. voice tone is huge. Yeah, because it's not just for calming the other person. It's for yourself too. It's for calming yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the most important. You have to calm yourself down first before you can, you have to do it yourself before you can influence anyone else to do the same. Right, right. So, and then you have to know the words that you want to say, right? Right. And so then, and then next, okay, so the third thing is that basically you give yourself a no answer. You say, okay, now don't talk. Okay. Don't talk. Do not talk until you are calm. Exactly. It just don't do it. And you just make yourself, you know, cause nothing you, good happens when you do. Oh, we've all done it. Paige. We've all said, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. And then we say that. Ugh. <laughs> so frustrating. Okay. So the next, the next thing, uh, number four is, and plan out exactly what you will say. Yeah, which plan really correlates out. to number two, but yeah. It does, but this is the point where, okay, you've given yourself that no answer. You say, I'm not going to talk till I'm calm. You go to that calm down place. And now when you're in there, you are, you are writing down maybe even word for word. And when you read it after, if that is emotional, start over. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Rip it up. And you write down word for word how to analyze this. Now, hopefully you have skills. This is where so many of the skills that we teach come in, where people are like, okay, those are the word for words that I am going to say. Because mm -hmm. we do teach that. Oh, we do teach that. And, and it's helpful to people who, you know, maybe have a tendency to get emotional and aren't sure if they want to trust the first words that pop into their head. I mean, mm -hmm. a, a self-governed person is a planned person. They, they've made a plan for themselves. Yeah. So plan what you will say. Okay. So next, uh, number five. So that one is focus on understanding the other person while talking. Um, so we actually kind of talked about this earlier when I mentioned, you know, the two couples that were fighting or the couple that was fighting, like you have to actually focus on the other person. You can't be planning out what you're going to say. You have to, you know, stay, stay in that front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the one that, you know, is makes all the decisions, stuff like that. Um, problem solving area of the brain. And then a really good way to actually do this is to repeat back what they say. You say, okay, so this is what I'm understanding from what you say. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Well, that's really powerful. Here's the other thing too, Paige. It, this one, this one correlates to number four before it. Because yeah. if you've already planned out exactly what you will say, then you don't have to think about it. Then you don't have to sit and plan an attack. When you're talking to a person, you can listen to them. Mm -hmm. You can ask them questions. You can engage the front part of your brain. This is the beauty of having a script or a skill set, as we call it, something to hold on to those words that you exactly will say. This is the beauty of it. Anyway, so um, then next, number six is. 
Praise goes a long way. So praise mm -hmm. for your successes and praise your children for their successes when they have chosen to listen and to understand and to use their skills in communicating with you. Praise them for those successes. And Even I think you brought up a good point though. What's yeah. that? Pra praise your children, but you have to praise yourself. Yeah. So you can't go around beating yourself up for mistakes that you've made because as a parent, like from an adult's perspective, you make a lot of mistakes. And as a parent, you know, you make even more because your children show you where you make a mistake. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But even as a child, you know, a child, if they've gotten into the habit of beating themselves up and saying, Oh, you know, I'm just an awful person. I didn't do that. Right. Like you have to praise yourself and you have to be willing to accept that personal praise mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's, that's, I mean, you can even say that self care, but that's, that's building yourself up and, making yourself more confident in the things that you do know so that you can continue to progress. Right. Maybe you had your calm voice, but you went off of the script and you kind of said something you wish you didn't. Okay. Well, praise yourself for the calm voice, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, address. Okay. I need to make sure I use my script better. I need to look at my cue cards. We have these little teaching self-government cue cards and oh, stuff beautiful. to remind people what they planned to say. And anyway, but you, but you look at those things you say, okay, next time I'm going to do better at looking at that. Or, or, you know, this time I didn't seek to understand them as well, but I absolutely stuck to my script, which was good. Yeah. And so, so just finding what you did do and then analyzing what needs to come next, how you can improve on that is awesome. So now this kind of leads to our very last one, which is to track your progress. Okay. Mm -hmm. To track your progress, which means you've got to see how did I do? And then what can I do better and have some like follow-up conversations with yourself about how things went. Okay. Yeah. And, and with your children, you're going to have follow-up conversations too. We call those parent counseling sessions and there's certain, you know, way that we go through those and make those effective. But this is the moment where the teaching really enters into the heart and, mm -hmm. and truthfully parents, we got to teach ourselves this calmness thing. It's all on us. No one can make you calm. No. You can't, you can't make your children calm. They have to choose it. Cause that would be a controlling behavior. Exactly. Which means that you have to give them the tools they need to choose it. Which and you have, you to, have to acquire them yourself. yourself. Yes, exactly. Let's, I'd like to go over those steps again, just real fast, just in case. Yeah, go ahead. Um, How yeah, about you so, review them for us? Oh, uh, will do. So first step is analyze yourself. Second step is to make a calm plan. And this includes a calm place, calm voice, calm body. And then the words that you might say. Step three, give yourself a no answer. Do not talk until you are calm. That is very important. Step number four, plan out exactly what you will say. Step number five, focus on understanding the other person while they are talking. You know, keep engaged with them. Repeat back what they say. Step number six, praise goes a long way. Praise yourself. Praise your children, even if they're small successes. And then the last step, step number seven, is track your progress, which actually, if you think about it, kind of repeats back to step number one. You analyze yourself. Yeah. Yep. You got you track it. You analyze what you did, how you did, and how you can do better. Love that. 
Those are the seven ways to have calmness that we're going to share with you today. Keep learning about calmness. This is a lifetime pursuit. Calm people are powerful people because they are the ones that can connect no matter what's going on. They're the ones that can let their heart be felt in the room where it seems like there's a vacuum and mm -hmm. everything's being mm -hmm. sucked out. Calm people are the ones who become the leaders. They are the wise ones and they are what parents are supposed to be. So I hope that you will continue to work on your calmness. Go to the Teaching Self-Government Support Group if you've got more questions about your own calmness. Learn more about the skills and things on teachingselfgovernment.com. See what you can get to help you out. And, um, and we will, you know, hopefully be able to see you progress as Paige and I have over mm -hmm. our years of working on this as well. Yeah, like she said, keep going at it. We've just barely scratched the surface on things. There's so much more, so many different avenues that this can take. Uh, and that personal study is really, really good on this. It helps with self-analyzation. So continue to work on that. It's, it's a very powerful Perfect. study. Well, yes. Thank you everyone for joining us. It's been a wonderful time talking about calmness coaching today. And hopefully you feel a little bit more inspired to uh, go play fun games and go work <laughs> on your calmness with your family. Until next time, this is Nicolene and Paige Peck. We'll talk to you again later. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.